You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. He's the single greatest basketball play-by-play announcer of all time and will always be. He has... He is the one that has set the standard for all of us. Today's podcast is brought to you by Roy's Umbrella. Roy's Umbrella, they're awesome. I know because I've worked with Roy for years, and trust me, you can count on Roy for a very low rate, and here's what you're going to love, folks. No tricks, there's no nonsense, and when you get to the end, you're getting ready to sign everything, no, no extra charges. Let me tell you something about Roy. He's been incredibly loyal to me. He's going to treat you like family. Just go to roysumbrella.com. That's roysumbrella.com. My guest on the show today is the lead voice of the NBA, longtime TV voice of the New York Knicks. He has worked in multiple Olympics. He did the NFL on Fox, and he will be going into the Basketball Hall of Fame. It is one of the best sportscasters that this country has. That's Mike Breen. Mike, it is so great to have you on the show. Hello, Grant. How are you? It's nice to hear your voice. Uh, very kind words. Uh, I think you've gone way over the top, but I, <laughs> I appreciate them very much. Well, you know, I haven't gotten to the Mets yet, so don't give me too much credit, okay? <laughs> Already you, you, you're starting. And, and knowing the, the hurt of my Mets not making it into the playoffs <laughs> has caused me caused me quite uh, quite amount of pain. Let me tell you something, Mike. Um, being a Yankee fan, I think I would rather have the, the team not make the playoffs than fail every year the way the Yanks have. So it's okay. Hey, I want to get into, it's now been less than two weeks, okay, since you left the bubble. What was that experience like from your perspective? It was, um, it was quite the experience. I mean, it, it really extraordinary, Grant, without being overly dramatic, um, because so many people didn't think uh, they would ever be able to pull it off uh, and they did. And I thought it was a success for so many uh, different factions. I mean, obviously for the league, uh, for them to crown a, a champion, that was their goal, obviously also to recoup uh, so much uh, money that they had lost. And maybe most importantly, they were able to do it without one single positive COVID test, which, that might be the most remarkable statistic in the history of the NBA, considering what's going around in the country. Um, and then, you know, the players be able to go back and compete for a championship, uh, for them to be able to, to have that, that other important agenda for them, bringing about awareness on their fight for social justice. 
um, and and also you know obviously financially for them to get back to work and for us at ESPN and and our colleagues at TNT it was the same thing it was you know back to business bringing the games to the fans and, and although it was it was different there's no question about it and it wasn't perfect uh, I, I thought it was a wonderful thing for for the fans to have their NBA basketball again and you know there were bumps along the way and that's that's going to be something that happens but. But overall, I felt proud to be a part of the experience with so many uh, dedicated professionals, uh, both with the league, with the players, and, of course, with my colleagues at ESPN and TNT. Mike, I talked about this last week. Ten NBA finals for LeBron James. I was blessed and privileged to announce his first game. He made his NBA debut in Sacramento. And I shared the story that during that telecast, Jerry Reynolds, who was working with me at the time, said that uh, if – LeBron James stays healthy. We're going to look at possibly the greatest player of all time uh, tonight in Sacramento. He made that observation in the first half. And yet there are still those that do not want to give him his just due. Now, listen, I don't know if you put him ahead of Jordan. I'm very close with Scott Pollard. He thinks Will Chamberlain's the greatest of all time. The point I was trying to make, Mike, is you cannot have the conversation if you don't have LeBron James in the mix. And it's baffling to me how some still do not put him in that category. I, I can't, there aren't enough superlatives for me when I talk about LeBron James. You know, it's, it's at the end of the, the, our final telecast, um, I spoke about him and what I said was that here he is in his 17th year and still in, in year 17, he's still playing at a level that very few have ever touched. And, for him to make playing in the finals, it's routine. We take it for granted. I mean, nine finals in 10 years, uh, it's an incredible thing. And, and, and I believe and I've always felt that um, to try and compare players from different, different eras is just uh, the phrase I use is it's a fruitless task. I mean, you just can't do it. But when this guy finishes career and, and finally, you know, hangs him up, which might be still a long way to go. Um, he takes a backseat to no one. I'm not one who, who talks about, all right, Michael Jordan's the greatest, Will Chamberlain's the greatest, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Larry Bird, LeBron James. Uh, they're all special, special players, and, and LeBron James takes, takes a backseat to no one. Jeff Van Gundy uses a quote all the time, Grant, and I love this quote. Comparison is the thief of joy. Because when you start comparing these great players, to make your point, you almost have to say something critical of another great player. And I mean, is really that, that's how we're going to win the argument? Well, he's not as good as this. No, they're all special. They're all legendary. And, and I agree with you 100%. Um, I, I don't get the criticism. Um, nobody's perfect. But man, oh man, this guy, for him to achieve what he's achieved with the hype that he's had to do it with and under the spotlight, uh, it's been, I, I feel the same way as you, it's an honor to call his games. You just talked about Jeff Van Gundy, and as we're recording this, Jeff Van Gundy is still your broadcast partner along with Mark Jackson, but he's rumored uh, in a job or two. And you and I have talked about this in the past. I talked to Jeff. He was on my radio show in Sacramento back in the, when the pandemic first hit, and he had just finished uh, being in the car with his daughter for a driving lesson. And uh, I mean, Jeff Van Gundy is truly one of the funniest guys, isn't he? I mean, you've known him for such a long time, obviously 
especially being with the Knicks and watching him, you know, become an NBA head coach and then, you know, the great broadcaster that he is. Would you be surprised if we don't see him on the sidelines coaching real soon? I've been surprised about that for years, Grant. Um, I mean, I go through this high anxiety every summer or every off season now with, with this year's different calendar um, because I, I hate to lose him as a partner. I, I think I'm the luckiest play-by-play guy in the business working with Jeff and Mark. Um, but I don't understand how teams don't hire him. He, he's a great coach, and he proved it again the last couple of years coaching that uh, Team USA, which was basically a group of a lot of G League players, uh, to a gold medal against much more experienced international players and older players. I mean, he's just he's just a great coach, and, and I don't want to, to lose him as a partner. You know, coaching's in his blood. It's what he's been, and, and I know he'd like to coach again, so I'm, I'm hoping that he gets a, a, another opportunity to show people because if you want your team to reach the potential, that's your man right there. Mike, last September, uh, I went to Springfield, Massachusetts to see Vladi Divac and Paul Westfall uh, enshrined into the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. Because of the pandemic, this year's festivities have been postponed till next year. You are going to be part of the ceremonies next year. You are going into the Basketball Hall of Fame. Take me back to the phone call that you received well, it was it was actually an email uh, because I was on a, on a flight, and I remember like I had to shut my phone off. I got a call, and I didn't recognize the number, but the flight attendant was yelling at me. I was taking a coast-to-coast flight, and the flight attendant was yelling at me to shut the phone off, so I, I didn't answer it and shut it off. <laughs> How about that, and, huh? Like one of the most important I, phone calls of your life. <laughs> shut your phone off. And and uh, so I got up in the air and, and went online, and uh, – John DeLiva, who is in charge of running the Hall of Fame, um, he's the president of the Hall of Fame. Obviously, Jerry Colangelo is is the man that runs it. But uh, John, who's done such a magnificent job, he sent me an email, uh, and I read it on the plane and, and, quite frankly, got pretty emotional on the plane, was looking around to make sure nobody could, nobody could see that my eyes were welling up. Uh, it was something that, you know, you just you don't ever dream of, you don't ever think is possible. And the the first thing that you think of is is all the people that are responsible for it, and I've got busloads of uh, of people that are responsible for it. So it was so humbling, um, but it was so wonderful because it, it has given me a chance. When I first found out, and will continue to give me a chance to to thank all the people that that uh, that made it responsible. So it was a very emotional day. You talked about boatloads of people. Take me back to. Early in your career, was there one individual or one moment that changed your future as a broadcaster? Boy, that's that's a, that's a hard. Well, first off, the answer to the the first part, uh, one individual. No, there's just there's just too many, and it you know it starts from when you're a kid with with your parents, and then teachers, and then uh, mentors that you had. Um, so it's really, it's really impossible to, to put it into one. I, I've been so fortunate, um, all through high school and college and, and in my professional, professional career to, to just meet the right kind of people, people that wanted to help you and want nothing in return. And, you know, you try and emulate that and try and, and turn it around and, and help others as well. And, and although I'm sure I fall drastically short of the people that have helped me, it's, it's, um, 
it's something that I, I strive to do because I just, you don't forget. And, and one of the things I do on, on every year, uh, the NBA finals, um, there's, there's a handful of people who I send on game one of the NBA finals every year. I send them a note to tell them that I'm thinking about them that day, because if it wasn't for them, I would not be calling those games. And you just try and remember and, and as many people as you can. And, and sometimes the impact is enormous and sometimes it's a, a lot more subtle, but it's just as important. And, um, that's that's been the the my my uh, task over the past several months is making sure that all the people get thanked. Mike, you grew up in New York, and I think one of the most fascinating stories is the relationship that you have with Michael Kay, both going to Fordham, your dream being the announcer for the New York Knicks, his being the announcer for the New York Yankees, and here we are in 2020, and you've got decades behind you, he with the TV voice of the Yankees, you first with the radio voice of the Knicks, and now the TV voice. I mean, you just can't make up things like that. I mean, that is one of the most fascinating stories. Take me back to the relationship with Michael Kay and when you first met him. Well, two fools, that's what we were back then. <laughs> thinking, <laughs> right. I think that we had a chance to do that. Um, and, you know, when you talk about impact, I mean, when you have a, a friend like that at a young age and you're in college and you're studying broadcasting, you know, you, you push each other and you help each other and you support each other. And that's what we had back then. Um, and I didn't, when I first joined the, the college radio station at Fordham University, and that's really why I went there because it had such a great reputation. I didn't have any friends and I felt, I felt like I was out of the click and, and was, you know, pretty shy. And he was the, the one person that, um, I gravitated to because he had this, this outgoing, charming, loud personality. And thankfully he befriended me. So now all of a sudden I had, I had my friend at the radio station and, you know, he just clicked right away, and and you know, you knew back then that he was going to be he was going to be something special in the industry, and he he's been. I'm so I'm so proud of him. I'm so happy for him, and we're still great great friends um, to this day. We 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 talk all the time, and I even though I'm I'm a Met fan, I I force myself to watch <laughs> the Yankees once in a while because because I, because I have to watch them. But it really is it's it's uh, it's hard to believe that that that's what we talked about. And we laughed at each other thinking that, that, you know, there was no way that was going to happen as much as our friends made fun of us as well. Growing up in New York, obviously, uh, like myself and so many others in this business, we grew up uh, idolizing Marv Albert, uh, whether it was the Rangers or the Knicks, or I used to love watching him do the news on WNBC Channel 4 in New York. Were you one that just couldn't get enough of listening to Marv? Because me, I used to actually record his games, and then I would take some of the highlights in the homeroom in junior high school, and we would listen to them before the bell rang for the first period. And I don't know, and I mean this, I don't know if I would have ever become a sportscaster, would have been a play-by-play broadcaster, had it not been for growing up in New York listening to Marv Albert. He's he's the single greatest basketball play-by-play announcer of all time, and will always be. He has... He is the one that has set the standard for all of us. And um, being in New York and, and listening to him and watching him, uh, first off, he, he cemented my love of the NBA. But then you just you, you heard the, the passion, um, the cadence, just that voice, uh, his sense of humor, his knowledge of the game, uh, his ability to work with his analysts. I mean, you just check one box off after another of, of excellence and to be able to have that. And, and some of it is, you know, consciously you, you want to emulate him, 
and subconsciously it just sneaks into you and and you just absorb because you watch so much and i was a nick fan growing up as a kid so listening to him all the time and then when i got the the radio job um and he was still doing the Knicks tv at the time he was the first person to call me i was sitting in my kitchen at home on long island and I get the call, and he said, "Congratulations!" And I mean, for for somebody, oh, and, and I sure. know you felt the same way to get a call from 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 Marv Albert at your home to congratulate you and welcome. And now I'm going to travel with him and and be around him all the time. It just was it was absolutely surreal. And he's has always been extremely kind. I remember my first game at Madison Square Garden with the Kings was 1988, and I had my dad there. Who and My dad used to just love you, and he used to tell me the stories after games. He would <laughs> run into you on the Long Island Railroad, and you would talk, and not to say this other than my love and appreciation for you, you being at my dad's memorial uh, was something I'll never forget, and I can't thank you enough for, for that. But uh, being on the... To have my dad on the floor at Madison Square Garden, and I interviewed Marv for a halftime segment before the game. And, you know, we've been doing this a long time, and earlier in your career, things are extra special for you as you do this for a long period of time. I'm not saying it's as special, but, you know, it, it you know meeting, meeting famous people or people that you have known for a long time, it's not as it was when we were in our 20s, but I know what you mean. Because sitting there on the floor at Madison Square Garden on the Knicks logo, interviewing Marv in 1988 after I idolized the guy growing up and following the Knicks and following the Rangers, to this day, truly is one of the most amazing things of my broadcast career. Yeah, our, that's our generation, Grant. That he was he was the guy. It just It just didn't get any better. You know, it's like, and for baseball announcers, it's Vin Scully. Uh, I mean, they're just giants. So we use the word legends and giants uh, way too frequently. But he, he was, he's the legendary play-by-play voice of the NBA and will always be. And, um, you know, it's, again, he's, he's, a, he's a great story in how he came up and, and what he did. And I'll, I'll tell you another story about him and something that, that meant a lot to me. You know, he, he went through that, that – uh, uh, difficult situation sure. with the court and and the scandal, and had to leave the business for a while. So I benefited from that, and I became the TV voice of the Knicks because of that. And that was a hard thing. I mean, part of me is I can't believe I'm the TV voice of the Knicks. I'm excited, but it came because of problems that my broadcasting idol had, and it, it really was something that I wrestled with. But two days before the opening game, I got a, a letter in the mail, and it was from Marv, wishing me luck, telling me, I know you're going to do a great job, made a funny joke about John Andres, uh, who was his partner for so many years and was going to be my partner. And getting that note, um, just it, it just completely changed my my mindset as I head into that first game. And, and I, I just thought it was so gracious of him to do that take the time out when it was a difficult time for him to wish me luck in the job that I took over from him. And that's something that I never forget. Marv Albert, of course, with yes, the signature phrase that was iconic. Everyone in the New York uh, area and the tri-state area on the school grounds or whatever would always be saying yes. And it counts. And for you, it's bang. When did that first start? How did it come about for you? Because that's your signature phrase. Um, it, it, it started in college when I was, was a, a fan 
of of the Fordham University men's basketball team. I would go to the games. If I wasn't broadcasting the games, say Michael Kay or one of the other broadcasters, and we had guys like Charlie Slows, who's been doing Major League Baseball for years, um, if they were doing the games, I would go as a as a student fan. And when a Fordham player hit a big shot, that's what I would yell out in the stands as a fan. And I've tried it on the air a couple of times when I was a student broadcaster, and it didn't really I, – I didn't think it worked for some reason. I, I, I just – okay, it doesn't sound right. It, it sounded better while I was rooting. And then when I started doing TV after I got out of college uh, and doing high school games and things like that, I started using it, and I liked it. And the main reason I liked it was I, I only used it when it was a big moment, and often that's when the crowd was at its loudest – and it, you know, as well as anybody, you don't want to try and override a, a loud crowd with a big long call. The best way to do it, in my opinion, is is at those big moments be concise and let the crowd enhance your call by you know laying out and letting them take over. So a one word with one syllable was for me the perfect way, and I started using it, and I started getting some nice feedback on it. So so I kept doing it. So. It's, it's not a great story, but that's the, well, that's the way it started. You know, it's interesting when you talk about the big moments, because uh, I talk to students a lot. I talk to aspiring broadcasters, and it's interesting what we do for a living. We can do a two-and-a-half-hour broadcast, but at the end, if it's a big moment, and you never know when those big moments are going to come, but you're going to be judged based on how you called the big moment. It's all spontaneous. There's no chance to think about it. You don't know when it's going to happen. You can't rehearse. I've always lived for moments like that. And that's the thing I'm going to miss the most about broadcasting. Can you just take me through? You've had the luxury of doing so many huge playoff games over the years, games that come down to the wire with the game's biggest stars. And there's so much on the line. Is there anything better than that as a broadcaster sitting, uh, again, being the lead voice of a sport like you are in the NBA, that has just got to be, there's nothing like that in the world. I, I, I take it, Grant, as, a, as an honor, and I take it as a responsibility um, because, you know, you, you look at the people who've been doing it and, you know, Mar for so many years, again, set that standard. Another another. Uh, broadcaster who did the NBA finals for years was Dick Stockton, yep. who I think is one of the most underappreciated great play-by-play men of all time. Agreed. And he was during those, in those eighties when he was calling the finals, he was just, I mean, he was spectacular. So you, you want to try and, and, and keep up some, at least come close or at least try your best to, to keep the standard of what these men have done. I mean, look at some of the Al Michaels called, the finals and, and Bob Costas called the finals and Brent Musburger called the finals. So, you know, it's, it can be a little intimidating, but you, 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 you just try and work so hard to, to keep up that standard. I will say this to you though. And, and I bet you felt the same way when you first started doing it and you had your first big close game. I remember my first close game. I, I was like hyperventilating. I was so over mm-hmm. the top. Yes. I probably sound like an, like an hysterical fool, but then you do a couple of them, and you you find that 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 kind of pace that you want to do. You find that excitement level, and you get used to it like anything. The first finals game I ever did, I did with um, UB Brown. He was my analyst in 2006. One of the one of the great men of my life, and um, I was so nervous. Again, hyperventilating. I was explaining like basic rules because I was told oh, you, you're you're um, 
you're appealing to a casual fan now. It's not just the hardcore fan. So I was so out of sorts, and um, I, I think it was the either the first or second time out of game one of the finals that year. And Yubi leans over to me, grabs my arm firmly, and he looks at me and goes, hey, he says, just – just call the game the way you always do, and you'll be great. <laughs> and it just, it just, it relaxed me. Now I was still nervous, and I still get nervous before finals games. Uh, but it's, it's like anything, Grant. And, and again, we've both been through this. In that, you have to go through it, and you have to fall down, and you have to make mistakes. And I still make mistakes, but you learn to to overcome the mistakes. You learn from those mistakes. And then you, you start to get a rhythm in terms of what you think works well. And there's always going to be people that, that don't particularly like the way you call a game. But what I always try and do, my, my thing has always been I want people to, to feel these things when I call a game. That number one, I'm prepared. And number two, that I have a passion for basketball. Mm-hmm. Those are the two things um, that I want people to come away with, whether or not they like my style or not. I, I always want to be, well, the son of a gun, he might stink, but he's prepared and he loves the game. So that's, that's kind of my mindset going in, in terms of, you know, when you, when you call those big games, make sure you're prepared and, and make sure that the audience knows that you love the game. I've always talked about this when there are a big moment and you know, it's almost like hitting a great golf shot, which by the way, rarely happens in my life, but you know, on a big call, when you nail it and it, there is not a better feeling in the world. You also know when you're like, damn, you know what? I I wasn't on that the way I should have, or I could have been better. But when you have a big moment in a big game and you make the call, you know, right away, I nailed that because a lot of people, you know, listen, we are, our, our, our job is to announce the game. Yes. Our job is to interact with the people that we're working with. In your case, a lot of times, it's, I think it's very difficult in a three-man booth, but you guys are, are incredible. I would have a difficult time, I think, doing a three-man booth. But when you nail a call, you know it, and it's it's the greatest feeling in the world, isn't it? It's, it's, a, it's such an adrenaline rush, and, and you, you can't wait for it. But a big part of it is um, who you're working with. Yes, and, you know, whether – and I've been – man, oh, man, I've been blessed to work with with so many greats. Uh, I mentioned UB, Doug Collins, and now with Jeff and Mark. Um, they're just um, – they have as much of an understanding of the big moment as a play-by-play guy does. And, you know, they go back and forth all along, all in the game. And then at the end of close games, they always give me the, the right amount of room to, to make a call or make a big call. And it's – you know, that's the part of teamwork. I've, I've said this many times. I, I, I fell in love with basketball when I was a little boy because of the team aspect. To me, there was nothing better than watching five guys or gals working together on a court and being able to beat another team, even though that other team was more talented. It was, to me, that was like the ultimate high from, a, from, a, uh, from an athlete standpoint. And it's the same thing broadcasting. And you know this, it's, you know, you, it's your analyst, it's your statistician, it's your producer, your director, it's your cameraman, it's your graphics people, it's your video people. Everybody working together as one, and that's the greatest feeling. When you finish a game, and not just that you nailed the, the, the big call, but you nailed the big replay and you nailed the right shots and, and had the right strategy. It's just when it all comes together and the whole team works together, that's to me. That's the biggest satisfaction. Mike, you've done a number of Olympics. What's the most difficult assignment that you were given by NBC? I did uh, a number of the Olympics. I did both the men's and women's basketball, 
And one, we didn't just do the United States games. We did other games too, because they had a lot of airtime to fill. So I did a, a South Korea, China women's basketball game. And it's hard enough to, to, um, to remember the names, but to get the right pronunciations and to memorize the number with the name. And those were difficult pronunciations. And I remember sitting in my room the night before the game, my hotel room, and it took me like four or five hours just to memorize the pronunciation of the names. Then I had to memorize those names with the rosters. That was the hardest game I think I've ever mm. done. Uh, just because I was, you you can't really, usually you worry about the basketball, but it was, it was making sure the names were correct and the pronunciations were correct. That was hard. Um, you didn't want to go the Johnny most, you didn't want to go the Johnny most route. Number six, <laughs> number, and throws to the big white guy, number 13, now over to number eight. Remember, that was one of the funniest uh, things I've ever heard in my life when uh, the, the uh, Celtics were over in Paris playing uh, an international uh, a, team. That was a classic. It was a classic. Yeah. By the way, Johnny most, and I found this out later after I started doing national games uh, back in the NBC days, Johnny most used to use the word bang. Uh, I don't wow. know if it was his signature call, but, you know, back in the day, we didn't, you know, you didn't have access to no. out-of-town radio, and he used Bang, and there were a couple of others. I'm not the first one to ever use it. Uh, I never knew about this until afterwards, uh, but there's been some, and he was one of them. But, no, the the, um, the Olympic stuff is, is um, you know, it's invigorating, and it's fun, and you get to see great places, but you work you work your tail off when you do the Olympics. That's one of the things. And that was one of the hardest assignments. The other one was I did I did ski jumping. Yes. In the winter games, and I'm the play-by-play guy for ski jumping, <laughs> and I had never been on ski ju- never been on skis in my entire life. Was that Salt Lake City? Correct. Yes. But but I work with a guy named Jeff Hastings. He was my uh, my analyst, and Jeff was an Olympic ski jumper. And in some ways, I, I thought it was better for me, not knowing anything about the sport because I did my broadcast from a standpoint, okay, I'm a novice, I don't know. And I think a lot of the questions and a lot of things I brought up were, were perhaps things that people at home were thinking the same thing. You know, if, you, if you're too involved and too immersed in the NBA, sometimes you take for granted that your viewers know certain things, and many times they don't. And in that case, I didn't take for granted the viewers knew anything because I didn't know anything. <laughs> and I, even though I had this huge research manual, you know, and I, I – gave the background of the participants and, and the scores, et cetera. Jeff Hastings just took control mm. and he, you know, informed a country about what ski jumping was all about. And, and that was one of them, although it was difficult for me because I knew nothing about it, it was one of the more uh, enjoyable things I've done because I learned so much. Wasn't that the Olympic Games with Eddie the Eagle? No, 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 no. no? He was... He was. I'm old, but I'm not that old. Right? <laughs> Who was the? I remember. Remember the crazy ski jumper from. You know, like like you know he would. Oh jump. yeah, they made a movie about. Yeah. Him. Oh, that's there was right. A movie yes. About yes. Him. I'm sorry. So that wasn't okay. You know, I thought that I thought that was uh, in the uh, those Olympics. Okay. I'm 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 dating myself. You I'm just sorry. Assume, you'd see now. You just assume that, that, that people with gray and white hair yeah. are extremely old. Yeah. And when you dye your hair like some people <laughs> that I know do, then, you know, you don't feel like you're as, as old as those people. You're a beauty. You know, the one thing I've always admired about you is you have time for everyone 
And I've never heard anyone in the league say a bad word about you. And a couple of weeks ago on my podcast, I talked about the first time I was at the Forum in Los Angeles. And it was 1988, and I was explaining to everyone, as you well know, you know, at the Forum, we weren't on the floor, and we were in the upper deck, and I was all excited. I'm getting ready to do my first Lakers game and, you know, Magic and Kareem and Worthy and Scott. And it was such a big deal for me. And I got to the game super early and I'm up in my broadcast position and I'm just thinking, wow, I'm, I'm the luckiest freaking human being on the planet. And you made a great point a couple of moments ago about, you know, pre-internet, pre-cell phone. Yeah, growing up in New York, I I didn't know a lot about Chick Hearn. And even when I got the job in Sacramento, yeah, I, I knew Chick Hearn, but I didn't know how great he was. And I didn't know how incredibly, like he was the Marv Albert of the West Coast. Anyway, I'm up there two hours before the game, Mike, and Chick walks over to me and he says, hey, I just want to introduce myself. I'm Chick Hearn. And I said, Chick, it's an absolute honor to meet you. It's, I'm Grant Napier, and I'm just starting my first year with the Kings. He said, I know. That's why I want to come over and meet you. And he said, hey, if there's anything you need at all, do not hesitate to ask. We are very happy to have you here in Los Angeles. And I, I he, we had a, a five-minute conversation or less, and he turned around, and I just said to myself right then and there, I will always make time for any broadcaster. Uh, the, the, the impact that that conversation had with me that a legend like Chick Hearn would come over to me and do that is something I've never, ever forgotten, and I never will. Well, as I think we've discussed this, um, I had the same exact thing. When I went there, I wanted to meet him, but I was afraid to go over to him. I was so intimidated. Yeah. And I sat down at my location, and he did the same thing. He he walked over to me, introduced himself, and said, whatever you need, young man. Well, it's like, I mean, it's it as you say, it just it stays with you um, when, when people like that, um, you know, go out of their way to make you feel welcome, and, and you try and do the same thing. Is there one event, one sport that you would like to try to announce that you haven't had the opportunity? Um, you know what? There's a there's a couple. I mean, I've been a, a, a Met fan since I you know since I can remember five six years old, and someday I would I would love to call a Met game. That would be one of the coolest things for me. Um, They'd probably get I'm shut also, out. <laughs> See, you're such a dog. <laughs> uh, I think um, you know. I love golf. Love golf. Um, so you know, I've never even been to Augusta. So to go and, and call them the Masters, best. right? But you know, you look at the, the people who do baseball and do golf, and like, am I kidding myself? I just let the let the experts do that. But the other thing. Always thought would be fun to do would be the NCAA tournament, and not necessarily. I mean, the Final Four is everybody's dream who does college basketball. Um, but like that opening night, that opening day when you do four games, I did. I did a number of games in the bubble in the NBA bubble where I did two NBA games back to back days, number of times, and I was so wiped out. I can't imagine calling four games in one day in an NCAA tournament. In a lot, in a lot of cases, you don't even know the teams, you don't know the the players that well, the amount of time. So here I was complaining about doing two games, back to back days, and and to do that is incredible. But I always thought that would be a, a phenomenal thing to do. Ian Eagle always tells me that's the most traumatic day of the year for him, <laughs> right? Because it's just so hard to do. 
So those those are kind of the events that I that I would would love to do one time. But I'm. I'll, I'll let the people who are much better at it than I uh, continue to do it, and I'll just be a fan watching at home and, and be thrilled and, and blessed with what I've been able to call. You take the train into work, the Long Island Railroad, and my dad worked in the city for his entire life, and he would come home with some of the most fascinating stories. He was on the train with Dave DeBusher. He ran into you know Dick McGuire all the time on the train, or he ran into you, and great stories. All right, all the years of going back and forth from Long Island into Penn Station on the Long Island Railroad, is there one person that you met that just blew you away that where you just had a fascinating conversation where you just totally didn't expect it? Um, well, I've had some heated conversations. <laughs> and uh, yeah. and there's some, there were some stretches, you know, when, when the Knicks uh, have been struggling, the fans on the way home from the games – uh, after having a couple of beverages oh, while they're at the garden, they can be. Uh, oh yes, and not that they're mad at me; they're mad at the you know how the team played. So I'm the easiest one to take it out. Sure. On. So there's been a few of there's been a few of those over time. Um, you know, you know who I was always a big fan. I was a big fan of of um, Tommy Amaker. Remember Tommy Amaker oh, sure. played for Duke. Duke, yeah, and now now a successful yeah. coach. So one time I'm on the train. And anybody who's been on the, you know, uh, public transportation knows that there's nothing more annoying than people who talk so loudly on the cell phones. <laughs> They're sitting right, right. next to you, and right. it, it just, you know, it's it's one I and I'm sure millions of others pet peeves, and it just drives you crazy. So I'm on the train, and a woman is is sitting next to me, and her phone rings, and I'm thinking, oh, here we go again. It's you know, and she so quietly says. You know, I'm on the train right now. Um, uh, let me call you back. So this woman became, she was my hero. I mean, I just like, so I said to her, I said, you, you don't know who I am. Um, I said, I just, I just want to thank you. I said, that was like the, the nicest, considerate thing I've ever seen on a train. And she laughed and she says, she goes, well, I'm, um, um, I know who you are. And she says, said her name. And it was Tommy Amaker's sister. How about that? Wow. And I'm like, oh, I said, you have no idea what a fan I am of your brothers. <laughs> it was just it was such a, a pleasant surprise to see in a, in a situation that I thought was going to be a typical day on the railroad. Instead, I, I found somebody who was so considerate. You and I, we don't have a crystal ball uh, with this pandemic and what the future holds for sports broadcasting. The thing that I probably enjoyed as much as anything was the traveling and seeing different cities uh, and speaking with people at the arenas before the games, whether it was broadcasters or strangers or fans that would come up with you, it was probably the most enjoyable part of what I did other than the actual announcing of the game. And I'm wondering if that's now a thing of the past. You know, the cat's out of the bag. We saw what happened last year with broadcasters, local broadcasters, who were doing road games from their arenas, stadiums. And who knows whether local broadcasters will be traveling again. Have you thought about that? What do you think the future of local sports broadcasting is going to be? Yeah, it's it's a it's a great point to bring up, Grant, because um, you know the bubble again was an amazing experience. But boy, did I miss I miss the human interaction. I miss the human contact. I mean, that's that is it's it, what makes the job so special. You know, calling the games is obviously a thrill, but it's the relationships that you build. 
and it's not just players and coaches and other teams broadcasters often it's ushers many times it's it's fans that you know you sit in the same building and they sit behind you all the time you get to know these people um you know there's that there's that crew in indiana the stats crew the, the, the four of them had been doing it since forever the began. Yeah. right bob bernath is is one of my favorite people in the nba the best i got to know him so well that one time i did a thanksgiving day i uh, had a thanksgiving day uh, game there one time and and i was in there like a week before and he says to me, he goes, you're doing the Thanksgiving game, right? And I said, yeah, yeah. He goes, can you get out that night? I said, no, no, I got to go the next day. He says, you've got to come to my, you've got to come to my house for Thanksgiving dinner. I mean, so wow. you make those kind of relationships with people that, that last for your entire career. And when you don't have it, it's just, uh, you know, there's a huge void. And I, I the one big thing in terms of uh, that I miss so much was the fans, not having the fans in the arena. Uh, I think we all in some ways may have underestimated the importance of fans, both when you're in the stadium or in the arena, but when you're watching at home as well. I mean, they just, they add that, that, that joy and passion and sometimes misery uh, that make, make the events so special. And that's what I'm praying, that we get fans back in the stands very soon. And I'm hoping that we'll always do games at the locations because that, that part of it, you couldn't you couldn't have brought up a more important topic for, for all of us, Grant, because that's what that's what makes the, those friendship is what makes the job so wonderful. Well, uh, my friendship with you has been wonderful. You are such a class act, and I am genuinely uh, so thrilled for you. Uh, looking at your enshrinement into the Basketball Hall of Fame, it is so deserved, and um, I'll miss uh, seeing you uh, a couple times a year, but uh, I will make sure I get to New York. You can take me out on some of your beautiful Long Island golf courses, and we'll do it that way. We'll have more fun than we would talking for five minutes about how bad the Knicks and the Kings are. How's that sound? <laughs> that, that sounds good. Uh, we'll, we'll absolutely make sure we do all those things and continue in doing this, and and congratulations on your podcast. I Thanks. know this is just the first of, of a lot of great things in uh, in your new journey. So um, I'm I'm thrilled for you on there, Grant, and always uh, so grateful for your friendship over the past almost 30 years now. You're the best. All right, Mike. Have a great day. Thanks, buddy. That's uh, Mike Breen. Good stuff right there. Uh, I can't thank him enough. He, the uh, I, and he is very magnanimous. He's not ever going to talk about himself. He's not that type of guy. He's not a guy that brags it's not about me 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 it's always about his partner it's about the people that he works with and I mean this I was blessed to be in the NBA for 32 years and I've never ever come across one individual that has ever said anything bad about Mike Breen and that right there says it all all right I've been talking about crowd question and if you go to crowdquestion.com, it's easy to sign up. It takes about a minute. And on each podcast, I'm going to answer a couple of questions. So go to crowdquestion.com, send me a question. I'll answer some of them on my podcast, and then I'll get back, you know, as well uh, with a reply. But my question today from CrowdQuestion from Vincent, how did your phrase, if you don't like that, you don't like NBA basketball originate? And it's very topical because we just went over Mike's signature phrase with bang. It just happened one game, and I honestly don't even remember, Vincent, what year it was. I can't remember if it was in the late 80s, although I believe it was in the early 90s, and it just caught on, and never in my wildest dreams that I ever think that it would catch on the way it did. I'll share a story real quickly. 
when uh, my son was a freshman uh, down at junior college in San Diego, Mesa Junior College, he told me that his friends, when he told them who his dad was, said, if you don't like that, and it blew away my son that these were not people from Sacramento. They lived in Southern California, and they knew about if you don't like that, you don't like NBA basketball. So you know what, Vincent? It just happened, and it caught on, and it wasn't planned. Like I told him, Mike, you don't really think out these things. You don't, you, you don't have time to rehearse when you're doing a live sporting event. You don't know when the great moments are going to happen. You don't know when – you know, the most amazing thing, like I always tell people, the most amazing thing of my 32 years was being in Oakland for the Kings and the Warriors when Clay Thompson scored 37 points in the third quarter. It was a meaningless game. You know, the Warriors were great. The Kings stunk. And it was just, you know, the Kings and the Warriors. And that's the thing I love about sports. You never know when the great moments are going to happen. And to this day, that's the most amazing individual performance I've ever seen. Think about that. 37 points in one quarter. In one quarter. Incredible. All right. Uh, Bob Norm, is it true the players had a celebratory dinner at Morton's following the DeMarcus Cousins trade? I never heard that. I never heard that. So if that happened, I did not hear that. I would say if I had to guess, it probably did not happen. I know a lot of players didn't like playing with him, particularly in his first three or four years, I think he became a better teammate as his career progressed. But in the first three or four years of his career, that wouldn't have surprised me. But no, I, I did not. No, I never heard that story. I never heard that story. If you want to ask me a question, just go to crowdquestion.com. It's it is easy to sign up. It takes about a minute. Really, folks, do it. We'll have some fun and uh, we'll make it a segment. All right, my podcast are Tuesdays and Fridays, and we'll have a lot of fun with it. It's time for Grant's Rant. Rant. All right, it is now time for Grant's Rant. And Grant's Rant is brought to you by New Works Plumbing, a locally owned plumbing company in the greater Sacramento area for 20 years. They do repiping for Kytec and copper pipes. Hey, do you still have a tank water heater? You know what, folks? Get rid of it, would you? Because you can really save a lot of money with an energy-efficient tankless unit. thing I love about New Works Plumbing, yeah, they're a full-service plumbing company. Then they're going to remove all the headaches from plumbing repairs. Be sure and schedule an inspection today or for all of your repairs. Go to newworksplumbing.com. That's N-E-W-W-R-X plumbing.com. All right. So the Cleveland Browns, they think they're all big and they're on their way to great things, and they may still be. They go into Pittsburgh on Sunday, and they get thoroughly embarrassed. And Baker Mayfield was absolutely horrendous. So the Cleveland Browns come home after getting spanked, and Odell Beckham went off on the sidelines again, and it's the Browns, okay? But they're still off to a good start. Well, Baker's wife, Emily, This is not the first time this has happened on Instagram, okay? Not happy with all of the criticism that her hubby is taking, all right? She wrote, he's not in an easy position, and he's grinding for this city. It takes time. Don't send me some stupid shit. That's from Emily Mayfield, Baker's wife. 
Now, Emily, all right, let me give you a little advice here. Your husband has a hard enough time as it is. The last thing he needs is for his wife to be making public comments. We get the fact that he's your husband. We get the fact that you love him. We get the fact that you support him. We get the fact that you were very loyal to him. Good for you, okay? But there are certain barriers you do not cross, and this is one of them. Do not get involved in social media when it comes to wins and losses and performances of your husband. Stay out of it. All right, because you are not helping him. You are not making his life easier. You are opening him up for more criticism. All right, so Emily, all right, I don't know you. I'm sure that you are a great person. But in this this particular instance, when it comes to these type of things, zip it. All right, zip it, Emily. All right, stop it already. This is not the first time. You're not helping out Baker Mayfield. All right, you're not helping him out. This is Cleveland. This is the dog pound. This is a city that has had to endure Brian Sipes' interception in the end zone against the Raiders. This is the franchise that's had to endure the drive by John Elway. This is a franchise that's had to endure an Ernest Biner fumble on the one, which would have sent them into the Super Bowl, okay? The Browns have never been to the Super Bowl. This is a fan base that has had to live through Art Modell taking the team out of Cleveland and moving them to Baltimore. Cleveland, all right, the home of Jim Brown, the home of the great championship Browns teams, pre Super Bowl era, all right? They've endured a lot, okay? They are starving, crazy football fans, all right? They have had years and years and years and years and years and years of heartache, okay? They have a right to be pissed, okay? They have a right to be over-emotional. They have a right to be going crazy. Why? Because it's been forever, all right? So, Emily, stop it. Get off social media, all right? Your husband's going to have many more bad days, and he's going to get criticized by members of the media, not only in Cleveland, but around the country. You are not helping him. Stop it already. And that's my rant for today. Hey, thanks very much for listening to this podcast. If you don't like that with Grant Napier, so great to have Mike Breen on. I have so much respect for Mike and everything that he's accomplished in his broadcast career. Folks, have yourself a fabulous weekend. Don't forget, our next podcast comes up Tuesday, if you don't like that, with Grant Napier.